A happy New Year, Redemption Tempe. Uh, you made it. 2022, we're here. I loved seeing all that God did in our church community this last year, and I'm excited for what God has in store for 2022 and the year ahead. Being a new year, we're going to talk today about new wine. New wine. Pick, stomp, age. That is how we tend to think of how wine is made. You pick the grapes, you stomp the grapes to get the juice out, and then you age the juice until it ferments and is ready to drink. Pick, stomp, and age. Though actually, the most important part of the process, if you learn about winemaking, it actually occurs before the grapes are picked. The most important part occurs before the grapes are picked, and interestingly, this is unique to wine, and it's different from how many other drinks are made. So if you think of uh, beer and whiskey, for example, when they talk about the processing and creation of beer and whiskey, the most important part of the process for drinks like that actually occur after the grain is harvested, kind of what's done to the, the grain and how it's stored and how it's dealt with and all. But with wine, it's different that what gives the wine its unique and special flavor has to do with before the grapes are picked. And this is because the vine has to when the grape branch is attached to the vine. Because the grape receives its life from the vine, and the vine gives the grape its unique flavor. The vine contextualizes to the soil and the weather. This is why different wines from different regions taste differently, is because the vine has this powerful ability to actually be planted in soil and to soak in kind of the nutrients and, and the weather of that region and the nutrients in that soil and contextualize it, its life that it gives to the grapes to have a particular taste and flavor and feel in that context. Vines also uh, grow towards the sun. They are a phototropic plant, which means that the vine reaches and grows upwards towards the glory and light of the sun. And the power of the vine is that the vine is able to translate, if you will, this power and glory of the heavens above, of the weather and the sun and all that, and the nutrients and richness of the soil and the earth below and bring together this heaven and earth and bring it forth into, through the branch, into this grape that will become the wine. You might be asking, Josh, why are we talking about wine? It's New Year's. I'm here in church. Why are we talking about how wine is made? Well, it's because Jesus says, I am the true vine. In John chapter 15, this is the passage that we're in today. So if you have your Bible and you want to open up and turn there to John chapter 15. And in our passage today, Jesus says, I am the vine and you, my disciples, are the branches. And it's by abiding in me and I abiding in you that you're able to bear good fruit, uh, which in this context is going to be grapes in the ancient world. They're going into making wine. He's going, my father is a vineyard owner, a winemaker who wants to make good wine through me as the vine and you as the branches to bring forth into the world. We are back in our series on the gospel of John today um, that we were in before Advent. And uh, today we're in John 15. This is a passage that we actually missed earlier. We had a one-off sermon and we needed to stay up with a redemption-wide series in John. And so we missed this one. So we thought, hey man, this would be a great Sunday to jump back in uh, to John on this John 15 passage. And a heads up that the person who was going to be preaching this morning is sick. Uh, we actually had a lot of staff uh, get sick, so you can be praying for them. Um, uh, so I would also ask that you could show me grace if some parts of this feel like 
a sermon that was prepared in the last minute over the weekend because it was. So <laughs> you can show a little grace for me as the preacher this morning. But we want to ask this morning, what is this wine that Jesus wants to make for the world? It's this wine that he wants to bring through you and I in 2022. What is this new wine that Jesus wants to bring into Tempe and his world through you in 2022? And what is Jesus's role in this process? And what is your and I, our role in this process? The title for the message this morning is Good Wine. So let's jump into John chapter 15 and pick up reading in verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Well, the First thing that Jesus tells us here is that uh, the father is a good vine dresser. He says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And he begins to talk and emphasize the action of his father as the vine dresser, that the father is a vine dresser who takes away fruitless branches and who prunes fruitful branches. Now this imagery of the father is a vine dresser is actually a very central, significant biblical image. When we go into the Old Testament, we see passages like Isaiah 5 that, uh, where God is a vineyard owner and he plants this vineyard and he plants Israel to be this vine that's gonna bring forth this harvest of good wine and bountiful abundance to the ancient world. Only Israel rebels and they become a bad vine and this echoes scenes of like the Garden of Eden and God planting another garden and, and giving humanity there to bear forth this good fruit to the world. But we rebel and we mess it up and Jesus is going, I am a better Adam. I am the true Israel. I am the true vine that the father has planted in this garden of his world in order to bring forth this good fruit, this good crop, this good harvest to his world. But if Jesus is the vine, he says that his father is the vine dresser. And one of the first things he says his father does is he says here in uh, verse two, that the father takes away fruitless branches. The father takes away fruitless branches. Now this is a picture of Judgment. It's a picture of those that uh, do not truly belong to Christ, do not want to be connected to Christ, do not want the life that comes from Christ, that ultimately the Father will remove them. And that can sound a bit harsh. Come on, can't they just stay attached and be a part of the life of the vine? Isn't that harsh, Heavenly Father, that you would remove these fruitless branches? But what Jesus is talking about here, I believe, is when people will call themselves a Christian, but don't actually live it. They don't actually live like that. And one of the challenges that brings is that actually damages the reputation of the vine and the reputation of the crop that the vineyard is bringing forth. And similarly, uh, when we have folks that would, hey, say, hey, I'm a Christian, but they're not actually pressing into growing and to trying to seek to live like Jesus and to follow his way, that can damage the reputation of Christ and his church can have a bad impact on our witness. Think of a friend of mine, Jeremiah, who growing up, it's tragic, but he was repeatedly molested by a priest. There was not only the horror of the experience that he had, but you add insult to injury that on top of all of that, that the message that came was that this was done in God's name. That it was done 
by someone who represented Jesus, who represented God and his people to him. And as Jeremiah and I became friends, uh, I was a new Christian. He hated Christianity. And he was like, how can you believe in Jesus? And as we got to know each other, what we began to find was that many of his deepest hangups had not to do with Christ himself, but had to do with experiences he had received from fruitless branches. From those who were connected to and identified with the people of God, but did not bear the fruit of Christ's character or the life of God and the damage that had on his own uh, process of needing to, uh, uh, his ability to see Jesus as he truly is, was significant. And as I think about this, I think that sometimes in the church, you and I, we can be afraid to confront or call out sin and unholy living and stuff in our life as God's people. And at times that's because we're afraid of people walking away from Jesus or the church. And so we can kind of ignore or turn a blind eye to some of those things in our lives, in each other's lives that probably need to be addressed and spoken of amongst as friends and believers together in the body of Christ. But sometimes I think we're afraid that if they go, we ourselves might feel abandoned and rejected, like they didn't actually want this thing I was a part of. But I believe what we can end up doing is it's like we're trying to keep branches on with duct tape, trying to artificially kind of keep people connected to Jesus and his church that don't actually want to be a part of life with Christ and his church. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is that, dude, we can entrust people to the Father. We can entrust them to the Father. He's a good vine dresser and he knows what he's doing. Now that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that we don't go pursue the, the one lost sheep. We, we leave the 99 to go after the one, that we walk with hurting people. And when people are struggling with their faith and have questions, yes, we go after and we walk with them and, and, and all that. So that's not what I'm talking about here. But what I am talking about is when someone's kind of going, yeah, I don't really want Jesus. I don't want to live like Jesus. I don't want to try growing in, in the way of Jesus and all that. And yet I'm still going to call myself a Christian because whatever else, like it's okay to let people go. We can have the grace to let people go and to entrust them to the Father is a good vine dresser. The reason that God takes away fruitless branches is not because he's harsh. It's because he's on a mission to bring good wine to the world. He cares about the reputation of you and I as his church. He cares about the witness that we have to Christ. He wants the world to taste the goodness, the savoriness, the rich flavors of the life of Christ and his spirit and the vehicle that he's wanting to bring this to the world is through you and I as the branches. And so Jesus and his father care about the witness of his church. They care about the health of us as branches that we're connected to the vine. All right, well, the father is more concerned with good wine than he is with fruitless branches. And so we can confront sin and deal with those kind of things in our life as a community. But Jesus goes on in verse two, and he says, not only does the father take away the fruitless branches, but he also prunes the fruitful ones. His father prunes the fruitful ones. Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Like, dude, I thought if I followed you, if I give my life to you, then I wouldn't get cut, right? Then I wouldn't experience those pruning shears. But we find in the gospel is that the question is not whether you'll get cut, but where you'll get cut, right? That there is still a, uh, a, a cutting that we experience from the father's 
shears, only the purpose is very different. If you think about the difference between pruning a branch and taking it away, uh, both involve a cutting on behalf of the vine dresser, but the purpose of the cutting is very different. With pruning, the goal is to cut away things on the surface or the exterior that are preventing a healthier, fuller growth and good fruit and those kind of things. It's cutting off kind of surface baggage, whereas the taking away of the branch, it's a cut at the root. And the picture here is going, the taking away is a picture of being removed from life with Jesus, but the picture of pruning is the removing of other surface obstacles so that you can more fully experience and bear the fruit of the life of Jesus. The purpose of pruning, the the Father's purpose in your life as you're connected to life with Jesus, the Father's purpose is not to punish you. It's to prune you. James says that, God is a good father who disciplines those he loves, his children, that God disciplines you not to be harsh, not to be, but he disciplines you and I in order that we can grow more fully in the life that Jesus has for us and to bear Christ-like fruit for the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced this in my own life. Like I came to Jesus and over the next few years, it seemed like, oh my gosh, man, my girlfriend got taken away. My stable job got taken away. Um, and over the time, I've seen these seasons of life where things that I really valued and loved and held on to, it's like, my Jesus, I'm following you, you know, but it feels like some of these things have been taken away. And there's even been experiences where it's felt like, man, God allowing some really rough seasons in our life. We had a season where uh, a real health scare for our daughter for about six months in the emergency room, the hospital, and just going, God, what is going on here? And, and, while there's been mystery and some dark nights of the soul and all that, here's what I can say is that in retrospect, I look back and the father has used those experiences to prune and to refine and to grow me in dependence on Christ and trust in his character. It's got put to the test for me even this week, this week. So uh, the day after Christmas last week, um, Many of you know, I, 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 well, I had a scare last week, about a week ago with my eyesight. So many of you know, the last year and a half or so, I've had some challenges with um, losing a lot of my vision in one eye and some concerns of whether the, that was, the other eye was threatened as well. And so the day after Christmas, um, I was outside playing with my kids and suddenly I noticed symptoms that seemed to be a sign that like in my good eye I was experiencing the same condition as my bad eye. And so pretty quickly, you know, brought the kids home. I, I went for a walk to pray first thing right away. And as I was praying, what I found was the very first prayer coming out of my heart was, Christ, I trust you. Christ, I trust you. Even amidst the fear that this seems like 100% sure, like this seems and feels like I'm going blind, I'm losing my vision. And, and yet, Jesus, I trust you. And I say that not as a boast or a humble brag or like, hey, look at me, but more to say that was not my prayer a year and a half ago. When this condition first started a year and a half ago, that was not my prayer. My first prayer a year and a half ago was, where the heck are you, God? Like, I'm scared. What, what is going on? And today, it's not that those fears were gone. Those came up too. You know, like there were still those fears of, man, am I going to be able to see my kids' faces growing up? There was still the fears of, of, um, man, am I going to be able to vocation, like be able to write and preach and teach? I'm sure I could maybe still do them, but I'm going to have to just totally reacclimate like what and how that, that looks. And so it's not saying that those fears and the scariness of all that wasn't there, but finding like, God, 
Heavenly Father, over the last year and a half, you've been pruning some of those areas where I feel like I can now say from my heart, my first response is, Christ, I trust you. Whatever's coming. Good news, three days later, I was able to get in with a specialist. They did some special tests and they realized that the symptoms were coming from something else. It's not serious. They're able to deal with. And so it's got them fine. But I look back, I was even grateful for that little experience because it showed, man, Father, you have been pruning me this last year. Not to punish me, but to grow me deeper, to discipline me as a son who you love, to grow me deeper in my dependence in Christ. You've been using this. And the message for you is I don't know this year what pruning you've experienced in 2021. And maybe you're walking in 2022 and you've got some areas where the, the pruning pieces feel fresh. They'll talk about the, the vine and its branches go through a process called bleeding after the, the pruning stuff kind of gets bled off and the moisture stuff gets bled off. But it's a process where it's preparing the branches to become more fruitful. And I don't know what areas, as you're stepping into 2022 this year, there may be some fresh prune marks where you find yourself bleeding. But... The encouragement that I want to give you this morning is the Father is a good vine dresser. And his purpose is not to punish you, it's to prune you. And his purpose is to prepare you for a fruitfulness and, and even for your own sake to be able to experience intimacy and union with Christ, even in the hard places, to receive his life as the vine. The Father is a good vine dresser, and we can entrust ourselves to him. Okay, well, how can you and I become a fruitful branch? How is it that you and I are able to bear this good fruit? What, if, if the big tension here is the difference between a fruitful branch and a fruitless branch, well, man, I'm going, God, how do I become a fruitful branch? I want, I want to get in on that. So 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus addresses this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you do abide in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says here that he is the good vine. And the way that you and I can bear good fruit is by abiding in him. Jesus says here that the, the difference between a fruitless branch and a fruitful branch is whether or not it's abiding in him. Now, when Jesus says like he is the vine, this is a powerful picture. The father is the gardener the vine dresser, and Jesus is the vine. He is the one through whom God is bringing this good vintage to the world. This is actually the seventh of Jesus's I am statements. So in the gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. I am the resurrection of life. I am the light of the world and so on. And this last one, this is the last, the seventh and final I am statement in the gospel of John. So it's got a climactic sense to it of Jesus kind of going, man, here's the end game. I am the good, true vine that the Father is bringing his good vintage to the world through. And it's interesting, if you remember back at the beginning of John's gospel, we go back in John 2, the very first sign Jesus performed, what was it? It was turning water into wine at a wedding. 
And back then, when we were at the beginning of John's gospel, back in John chapter two, we were reading that, and you're kind of going, wait a minute, how does Jesus turn water into wine? How does he take just this water that's just H2O and turn it into this vintage Merlot, whatever that's, that's falling out? And now, here with his seventh I am statement, we realize it's because he is the true vine. Jesus is able to take water and bring it and, and turn it into wine because like a true vine, he's able to take the stuff of this world and take it into himself, the earth and the soil and the nutrients and the different heaven, the ozone, whatever. And he's able to translate it and transform it into this vintage crop that brings God's blessing and celebration and abundance and life to the world. Jesus is the true vine. Now, the way that you and I get access to this, he says, is abide in me. He tells us here that uh, if anyone abides in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish will be done for you. That, that the way that we get access to this life is by abiding in Jesus. <clears throat> now, this makes sense. Agriculture, a branch, if it's connected and plugged in, abiding in the vine, it receives life from the vine. But if it's not, it's got no life on its own. It withers and dies. But you and I, we don't live in an agricultural society today, so that's probably not as familiar to us. I think just we're here today, he might say something like, you are the iPhone and I am the electrical outlet, right? Like, there's a sense that you can unplug your phone. It's got some juice for a while. It can, it can go a day or so. And maybe it's if you got a Mophie pack, you're gonna extend a little bit. But over time, like the juice, that energy bar is, is dwindling, it's straining. It can't produce life on its own. Like, an iPhone, like a branch, it can't generate power, life, energy on its own. It's got to receive it from an outside source. And Jesus is saying, that's like you and I, but like a branch plugging into the, the, the vine or that phone in your pocket getting plugged in, Jesus is going, I am the source of life that can fill you with my abundance, fill you with the power and energy and life you need and nutrients that you need to thrive. When I was... Uh, a kid, one of the things that we liked doing in the summers was playing out in the hose, right? So it would be, be hot out and we'd, we'd build this like kind of hose system with sprinklers and different things in the front yard and neighbor kids would come over and we all, all, all the kids in the neighborhood and we'd go running through the hose, we'd be rolling around in the mud, we'd be like just trying to stay cool because it would be hot. So we'd be, uh, we'd, we'd have a swimming pool in the, in the area so we were constantly just running through the hose and the sprinklers. But I had one neighbor friend, Kevin, and he was a bit of a rascal. And so what Kevin liked to do is he would kind of sneak around to the side of the house where the hose would come out. And he would, he would walk up, he'd grab that hose and he would kink the hose. He would, he would fold it up and he would kink the hose. And the reason that he would kink the hose is he would stop the progression and the flow of the water that was coming out the other end. And so suddenly we were jumping around and and, and suddenly the water was gone and we were dry and hot and, and, and dusty and there was no longer the refreshment and the cool springs and we're burning up in the hot summer sun. We're going like, what is going on? And then we'd all turn and realize Kevin kinked the hose, right? And what Jesus is saying here is don't kink the hose. Like abide in me. Jesus is saying, not saying like, you gotta go get connected to me or you know, you're out there and you gotta go get in. He said, no, you're in don't get out, like receive this life from me and don't kink the hose. Don't have blockages or obstacles or things in your life that are gonna stop you from receiving the life-giving presence that I 
I'm giving you. With Jesus, like the water is flowing, it's coming out. The question is, are we in a posture to receive it? Are we wanting to abide? Are we wanting to receive that life from the vine? And the reality is that sin in your life, unholy living, those kind of things, uh, like act like an obstacle or a blockage that is keeping and, and blocking you from the, the presence and power of God. He's still flowing. He's still with you and for you. But those kind of things kink the hose. And I believe what Jesus is saying for us this morning is, don't kink the hose. Like, abide in me. Receive life from me. And I wonder as we're in this week right now where many of us are looking at New Year's resolutions. You might be at a spot where you're kind of going, hey, 2022, what do I want this, this year to be like? I wonder what it would be like if we saw some of the practices of the spiritual life that Jesus is inviting us to. If we saw them not as a to-do list, not as kind of these rungs we're going to jump through or these hoops we're going to jump through to, to impress God and make him happy, but rather as vehicles for receiving God's presence, right? As ways of abiding in Jesus. That that, that, that that changes the game. I remember years ago, I used to struggle with prayer when I first became a Christian. And I would kind of like, it, the image I had was like, when I was going to pray, it was like I was going into this dusty, empty warehouse and there was nothing there and it was just boring. And it's like, what's going on? And life outside seemed fun. I'm like, I'm missing the fun, exciting stuff to go into this boring area. And then I'm like, Jesus said, so I'm gonna do it. So then doing it. And then there was this, I remember this moment specifically where I had this image, this vision, I was praying and it was, Jesus in this lush, bountiful garden. And it flipped my perspective where suddenly I saw how arid and dry the wilderness of so much of my life was and the things that were out there were and Jesus inviting me into communion with him. Not just this stuff to do to try and impress God or whatever, but rather this place to enter into to abide with Jesus and to receive life from him, his words, his presence. And I wonder as we step into 2022, what it might look like for you to resolve this year with certain practices that we might see themes like confession, a regular practice of confession before God is like a practice of like unkinking the hose. Going, God, I want to acknowledge and name and get rid of the obstacles in my life, that, that things that I've maybe been giving myself to or attitudes I've had or ways that you've been living that have been effectively like the little rascals that are kinking the hose. Going, God, I want to have a regular practice of confession that unkinks that hose. I want to receive your life. Or practices like adoration of going, God, I want to take time to adore you and worship you. And that's not just this thing I'm doing, but man, it's, it's like drinking from the fire hose of who you are, paying attention to your identity and your goodness and who you are, Jesus, so that I could soak in the life that you have for me as a branch that you have in yourself as the vine to give me. Well, Jesus not only calls us to abide in him, he also says that I abide in you. But Jesus' goal is not only for you to abide in him, but for he to abide in you. He says here multiple times, if you abide in me and I abide in you. And what, what does that mean? Abide is a weird word. We don't use that word very much anymore. But uh, what abide essentially means, it's like a home word. It's a homemaking word to abide. It's like the dude abides. It's like he's hanging out at home. He's just chilling out, resting at home, right? And the idea is when you abide, it's like you make your home with, you dwell with someone, you dwell with 
people. You spend your time with them. And Jesus says here, the way that he abides in you, two indications he gives us is one is through his word and the other is through his spirit. He says, if my word, my words abide in you. And then the rest of this passage is going on. I talk a ton about his spirit, his presence. So Jesus wants to abide in you through his words and through his spirit. Jesus wants to make his home in you through his voice and through his presence. I don't know if you've seen, there's this um, kind of humorous series of commercials out there, like At Home with Baker Mayfield. And At Home with Baker Mayfield, it's like progressive insurance commercials or whatever, right? And uh, how many of you have seen that? Anybody here seen that, right? So At Home with Baker Mayfield, and the idea in these commercials, so if you're not familiar, Baker Mayfield is like the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns and um, kind of a star, famous quarterback, right? And and uh, and he is moving into the stadium. He's actually moving into the Cleveland Stadium and making it his home. And so there's all these kind of funny pictures or images where he's like mowing the lawn, like he's out there with his push mower mowing the stadium grass, and uh, he's you know picking up after the guests, you know cleaning up junk under the seats and all that. Uh, he's turning on the lights in the morning, and instead of a light switch, it's like the big breakers and, and the whole stadium lights are going on. Uh, he's turning one part of the stadium into his bedroom and another part into the kitchen. Uh, in the morning, he's kind of sipping his coffee, looking out on the, the, the stadium deck out over the whole thing and, and reading his paper in the stands, reading the morning paper and all. And the picture, though, the image that is being given here is that Baker Mayfield is a quarterback who cares so much about winning the game that he's willing to move into the stadium. Baker Mayfield is a quarterback who's so about winning the game, he's willing to move into the stadium. And here's the thing, church, that Jesus is a savior who is so about bringing the good wine of his gospel and of his love and of his mercy and his grace to the world that he's willing to move into the branches. Jesus is a good vine who cares so much about bringing his good wine to the world that he's willing to move into and to make his home in you and I as the branches. Jesus wants to abide in you, to move into your life. He's saying, I want to pour my, like a vine into the branches and like, like Baker Mayfield moving into the city of Jesus is going, man, I want to move in and take up residence in your life. I want to fill you with my words and with my presence. I want to commune with you in 2022. You don't need to live isolated and on your own and on your own strength and power going into this year. You have the creator of the universe who is drawn close to fill you with his words and fill you with his spirit and unite you to himself with his presence and to go, Jesus saying, I want to make my home in you. I want to abide Jesus' endgame is not just to like get stuff out of you. No, it's to move into and be with you, be present. And this is powerful. This means some of us, I think, can get focused on doing big things for God, right? And we wanna, we wanna go out and like change the world and do all this big stuff for God. But what Jesus is saying, don't go out and try and do big things for Jesus before you've had Jesus move in and do big things in you. Say that again. Don't try and go out and do big things for Jesus until you've had Jesus move in and do big things in you. You are the stadiums. You are the 
place where his victory is to be won. You are the place that he wants to move in. And one of my questions for you this morning is, are there rooms in your stadium? Are there areas of your branch that you've still kept Jesus a bit hands off, off limits to? Maybe for you, that could be like romance and relationships where you kind of, Jesus, you can, you can move into these other parts of my life. You can have the other parts of the stadium, but this one, this is, this is mine. I'm holding on to this. The invitation this year is to go, no, I want to open the door. You get to be Lord of my life in this area as well. I want you to abide with me in this area of my life. Maybe for others of you, it's how to do with finances and security and fear about the future and all those things. And you felt like, man, Jesus, you can have access to the rest of my branch, all these other areas in my branch. But this one, I feel like I, I don't trust you. And so I need to control this one on my own. And the invitation coming in this year is going, no, Jesus, I want to open up. I want to receive the life of the vine in this area. I want us to no longer be a thing I'm trying to do on my own. I want to be an area where, Jesus, I, where you would abide with me and I with you. We experience you and I end this part of my life together. Again, as we step into 2022, I think it's powerful that we might consider practices that we would resolve for this year. This re-envisions them as just a to-do list to impress God as rather ways to receive God's presence. So if we saw prayer as opening the stadium door, going, man, this is this era we're going, we want the star of the show to move in and take up residence in our lives as the stadium so that he could win his victory in us. Jesus, I want to commune with you this year through prayer. I want to make that a habit, a rhythm, a practice, a part of my life is prayer, is communion with you in your presence. But if we saw scripture, reading scripture regularly, the practice of that of going, Jesus, I want to receive not only your presence, but your words. I want to soak and saturate in your word in scripture that, that we could actually commune together in the home of my life. If you're looking at 2022 and you're going, man, I, I kind of want to, but I'm not sure how, I would highly recommend uh, Bible Project has a great new app, Bible reading app for this year. They've just launched and it looks amazing. So if, if you're kind of going, man, I, I kind of want to read the Bible this year, but I'm not sure where to get started. I, I would encourage, you can even do it now. Pull out your phone, download Bible Project app. If you're not familiar with Bible Project, they're amazing. Uh, we've used their stuff here in the past, but it's a great app that could guide you in a process of going, Jesus, I want your words to abide in me this year. I want to abide in you and you and me this year, Jesus, because you're the good vine and I need the life that comes from you. Well, <clears throat> what is the fruit? If you abide in Jesus, he's bringing forth his fruit off your branches. What, what kind of fruit is it that Jesus brings? What kind of wine are Jesus and his father out to make through your life? Let's read in verse nine. It says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Everyone say, love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus says that the good wine 
is love. That the good wine that he and his father are out to bring to the world through us as his branches, as his people, is the wine of divine love. Jesus opens here saying, as my father has loved me, so have I loved you. And this is powerful because what Jesus is saying is that the love of the Trinity, of the triune God that has existed from before creation back in eternity, that is the love that he is letting us in on and giving us access to. When you as a branch are connected to Christ the vine, what he is out to pour into you is not just some stuff, not just some water. He's out to give you access to this love that has existed from before the beginning of creation. That God has always been a father loving his son and the love and the power of their spirit. And, and the father, son, and spirit are out to share their love with you. And so the reason that the father plants this vine of Christ in the vineyard of his garden is, is to bring forth through their spirit, their life and their presence and their joy. He said that your joy may be full and their love in you. If your roots are in Jesus, the fruit will be love. If your branch is connected to the vine, the life of his spirit that he wants to pour into you is this eternal divine love of God. Jesus associates love here with wine, the fruit of the vineyard. And this is interesting. You know, there's actually over a thousand references to wine in the Bible. It's more than any other uh, agricultural product or thing in, in scripture. The most prominent one is wine. There's over a thousand references to wine and winemaking. It's this major biblical theme. And if you study it and kind of look at it, what we find is that wine is a sign of God's blessing and his abundance for the world. I believe Jesus is saying here that the blessing of God is experienced through the vintage of love. That the abundance of God is experienced through this encounter with divine affection expressed in and through his people to the world. The blessing of God is experienced through the vintage of love. And this is interesting to me because Jesus is saying, dude, good love is like good wine, right? And and it's interesting that wine and love actually share some common characteristics. I was thinking about it this week and going, you know, three that really stand out. Um, one is good wine, like love, has a good blend together of both sweetness and acidity. You know, that is when they're picking the grapes, when they're picking it off the branch, they're, they're waiting for the right time where the, the sugar and the, like the natural kind of acidity of the grape, but then as it ferments and it takes over time and there's the sweetness that comes as well. And if you wait too long, it's gonna get too sugary. It's gonna get too much sugar and it's gonna be too sweet. The wine will be too sweet. But if you get it too early, it's gonna be too acidic. It's gonna be too bitter and sour. And so the trick is waiting for the right time to get where the sweetness and the acidity are blended well together. And I think similarly, good Christ-like love blends together both grace and truth. We have some versions of love in our culture that are too sugary and sweet, kind of, they're just like fluffy. They're kind of like, hey, well, everything's good. We're all great. I like you. Like me. Going, no, like there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a strength or a weight to love in the gospel. It's actually a love that's able to, as friends, call each other into holiness in Christ and call each other into life together. But it's also not like a hard-hearted mean. The goal is not to cut people down. It's, it's to build us up. And so there's this grace to it and the sweetness and, and all. And so Christ is calling us to like a good wine, wine that holds together both grace 
and truth. The sweetness of the gospel and the truth of God's reality is calling us into. A second characteristic of wine is that it um, comes from crushed grapes. Good wine, it comes from crushed grapes. And similarly, Jesus says here, the love he's calling us to is a love that lays down our lives for one another, a love that is willing to be crushed for one another, is willing to sacrifice in order to lift each other up as brothers and sisters in Christ. Like good wine, Jesus is calling us to a sacrificial love that embodies the kind of love he's shown us. When he says, greater love has no one than this, they lays down his life for his friends. Jesus was crushed. And so that you and I could be built up and receive the wine of his love. The third characteristic, the final one here of wine, is that it takes time. It's age. It's not only picked and stomped, but it's age. And similarly, I believe God's love, there's a patience that we need. That God doesn't just give you and I the quick fix where everything's better and fixed tomorrow night. There's an aging to the process of the life of Christ at work in us. And believe that this love we need involves a patience with one another as we experience God bringing forth this, this love for each other. We need a patience with one another as we're present with one another as the people of God. So I believe as we step into 2022, we need a, a love, a Christ-like love that like good wine, that, that we have both grace and truth for one another, that we're willing to lay down our lives for each other, and that uh, we and that we would be patient one another in God's aging process with us to bring forth this good wine. I was listening a while back to a, a German theologian, and she grew up on a vineyard. So she kind of grew up, uh, her parents were winemakers, they had a vineyard, and so as a kid, she talked about growing up, and she would pick the grapes off the vine, and, and she was involved with part of the, the process of stomping them and preparing the wine and all that, and and she had all these reflections on uh, this wine imagery in the Bible and the winemaking imagery. And one of the things she said, though, was like, as I grew up in this community, uh, I felt like we had a very healthy relationship with wine, both as a family and our broader region and everything. And it was often like wine was a source of community. It was kind of the center of the table and a table where we loved one another and we cared for one another. So she said, you know, often we would invite someone who was lonely or who was bereaved or we hadn't seen in a while and they would come and around the table with a bottle of wine, we would enter and we'd share life together. And then she said she came to the United States and had kind of a, whoa, a shocking experience for her. She came to do her PhD and, and as she was in school, she started noticing, man, some of the pockets of culture I'm running into here, there's a very different experience with wine. And she goes, I'm encountering uh, just even with... Uh, alcohol in general in the U.S. at times, like there is this, um, like the danger, she said, is that the goal is not health and community, but numbing our pain and isolation. So they, there can be a tendency here to use alcohol or use these things to uh, try and numb our pain and to put us in a way where we're, where we're even more isolated and kind of licking our wounds on our own. And so she said, personally, I have a, a, a rule where she's like, I, I don't drink when I'm on my own. So I mean, I've heard of but she's like, for me, that's, that's my thing. I don't drink when I'm on my own because I believe, she said, the more of what I experienced growing up though and what I have seen in uh, studying more ancient Near Eastern culture and in the Bible and the way that wine is used in the Bible, she goes that the purpose of wine is not to numb your pain in isolation. It's to celebrate and feast around what God's done by gathering us together in community. 
And Jesus similarly here is saying like, the good wine that I'm calling you to grow fruit of is a love that lays down your life for one another and brings each other together in rich community. And in in light of that, I wanna provide you with a challenge, uh, something I wanna invite you to this week. Um, And this may be, (laughs) well, the the challenge I wanna invite you to this week, your task for this week, should you choose to accept it, is to go out and buy a nice bottle of wine. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be $100, whatever. It doesn't need to be two buck chuck. You can get like a 10 to 20 bucks, right? 10 to $20, a decent bottle of wine. And if you have, if alcohol or addiction is, is a problem or issue with you, then don't substitute that for something else. That can be tea or kombucha or sparkling drinks or anything. You can choose, choose, choose your thing. But here's the thing. I want you to take that bottle of wine and practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Invite someone over around your table this week to share that wine with you. Invite a friend over. Maybe it's someone who you know is lonely or is in a season that's struggling. Maybe it's someone who's bereaved or is grieving, or maybe it's just someone you haven't seen in a while you need to catch up with. Uh, But invite them over. I want to invite you to celebrate God's goodness together. Actually, what I want to invite you as a sign of good hospitality is I want to invite you to invite them over to share that wine together and to ask good questions. Ask good questions. That's not something we're very good at in our culture anymore. We want to talk a lot more than we want to listen, but ask good questions. Really get to know, how are they doing? Where are they at? Those could be questions kind of themed around like, dude, where has God been pruning you this last year? Are there areas that you felt lost or things taken away or have you experienced Christ in the midst of that or haven't you? How, have you maybe not? Where, where are you? Maybe it's a dark night of the soul. Like, ask. And the other side of the question is, man, where's the fruit been? What, what are some of the things you've seen God doing in your life, through life that have been exciting? I'm just looking forward to this next year. Going, what are you most excited? What are you dreaming about this year ahead? But I want to invite you to hospitality around the table with a bottle of wine. That may sound like a strange thing from your pastor as your New Year's resolution this year is to drink more wine, but what I'm saying is let's take what Jesus did, this symbol, and go, let's actually be a symbol that speaks to this hospitality of loving one another, being present to one another, laying down our lives for one another. We can't do that if we don't know one another. Now, for this morning, I believe the invitation as we come to the table that we come to Jesus, the good vine. We come this morning to Jesus, the good vine, who says that this bread is a sign of his body broken and given. And this wine, catch that, this wine, this fruit of the vine, it's a sign of his blood shed, his life given. It's so interesting, Jesus makes wine a sacramental sign of his life given for us that we would come and give thanks and we would celebrate, we would feast at his table. Jesus has prepared the bottle of wine around his table for you to come and feast at this morning. And one of the things that struck me this weekend, just kind of looking about winemaking and all, was that they say the mark and sign of a good vine is how deep it goes down into the soil. That a good vine, part of the power of what makes a good vine a good vine is that it goes down deeper than any of the other root systems where uh, the root systems are already other plants and trees, whatever, already sucking up the nutrients in the soil. And the mark of a good vine is it goes down even deeper. They can go down all the way to like 20 feet down in the depths of the earth. And there they're able to access all these untapped nutrients and things and bring them up and feed them to the branches to bring forth. 
So the deeper the vine goes, the more consistent the nutrients it can bring to the branch. And as we come to Christ, the good vine, the power of his gospel is that he has gone deeper down into the depths than anyone could have imagined. Christ has taken your sin and gone into the depths of the grave. He's gone that 20 feet under. He's gone deeper down to tap in. And and now because of that, he has risen with new life. He is the good, true vine. You and I come this morning to Christ, the good, true vine, who takes the, the, the heavens above, the glory of the sun, light of heaven above, and he takes the soil and the nutrients and things below, and he brings together heaven and earth, and he feeds it to you, his branches. You might receive his love, and you might express the good wine of his love to each other and to the world. Just join me in prayer. Jesus, you are the good vine. God, thank you that you have come to give us of your eternal divine love with the Father God and to pour that love through us an abundant blessing to the world. Jesus, I pray for all of us this morning who are experiencing the pruning, God. Father, I thank you that your goal is not to punish us, but it's to prune us, that it's ultimately to make us even more reliant on the life of the vine to be able to bear even better fruit. So for all those who are going into this upcoming now new year, God, with maybe some of the bleeding of the pruning process, God, we ask that you would bring great dependence on, on you in this season for us, God, and that you would bring great fruit through us in the season ahead. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the good vine. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would abide in you this year, that if there's any sin, any blockage, God, that we would unkink the hose, God, that we would confess and bring those things before you and receive the flowing life that you have for us as your branches. God, I pray for 2022, not only that we would abide in you, but that you would abide in us, Lord, that we would open the door to the stadium and receive you are the star and we are the home where your victory is won. And so, God, if there are any areas in our life that need to be handed over to you, any areas we've kind of kept the locked door on, God, that we would unlock the door this morning. We would open them up to you and say, Jesus, even now, if that's you, you can just say uh, under your breath, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life in this area. Come and enter in, be the star. Let your victory be made in me. Make your home in us, Jesus, as your people. And Lord, we pray that the fruit of this would be love, Lord, that you would lavish your blessing and your abundance on your world through us, God this life-giving love that we've received. Lord, I pray that the fruit of our lives, we would not be known for any other thing other than you said, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love. God, I pray that our love for one another would be so strong that that vintage and the aroma of it, the taste of it, the, the news of it would spread, God, just how greatly this people loves one another. So bring forth your good wine through us, for your glory. Jesus, you said, in this is my Father glorified that you as my disciples would bear much fruit. God, we want to bear much fruit, Lord, for the good of the world and the glory of God. It's in your name, Jesus, and for your glory that we pray.